We're back for season two. Yes, it's bigger. It's badder. It's... Oh, just get on with it. Bad scripts. Hello and welcome to episode two of season two of the Bad Scripts podcast, The Last Resort. I'm Steve Jones and I'm welcoming once again my best friend in the world, your favourite podcast host. Put your hands together wherever you are in the world now for Mr. Mike Garlia. Hello, Mike. Wow, that was very breathy. That was a breathy introduction there, Steve. And and. Do we need to give people instructions to put their hands apart or together? Just so we, because I'm, I'm imagining lots of people with their hands together right now. I, I, I figure if they, make, they put their hands together and they made the noise, they'll realize it's just listening. It's just repeat, <laughs> repeat just said action. Keep, keep your hands together. If, you, if you're listening to this while driving, please don't do that. Just, just we have to say that for legal reasons. Um, but hi, Steve. Lovely, lovely to be here for, for week number two of episode two of Last Resort. And, you know, it got me thinking as well around, you know, we, we talked, Ali was on the show recently and she talked about nostalgia and thinking back and stuff. And you know what? I don't, that resonated with me. And I've been thinking back too. And you know what, Steve? One question I've never asked you in all our years of friendship. Oh, yeah. And what is that? I will judge you on the answer to this one, but were you a BBC kid or an ITV kid growing up? See, I was a bit of a TV slut. I watched whatever. So <laughs> I, 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 like the B, I like the BBC. Yeah, I, I could get down with the broom cupboard and live and kick in. But I also liked a little dabble in the old whackaday and the... Uh, the get fresh or whatever it was at the weekend um, on Saturday so, mornings to do so. For our international audience, I think we're going to have to explain what these shows were then, Steve. Because that sounds really weird. You were a you were a TV slut in the broom cupboard. Sounds yeah. really wrong when you put it that does. statement together. So, so yeah, I'm not going to explain everything about the broom cupboard. If you want to know what the broom cupboard was, Google is your friend. Go and look for the broom. I am more than happy to. So this this was a guy that um, presented from a cupboard with a hand puppet called Gordon the Gopher. (laughs) It wasn't weird. It was in context. It was in context. It was in context. And and the other said you're you're talking about uh, Funhouse. You're referring to Funhouse. No, no, I was talking about Saturday mornings. Neil Buchanan. Um, all the others, Gaz Top, all of the Ghost Train. Do you remember Ghost Train? No, I was an ITV. I was, I was the other side. I was ITV all the way. I was never a Blue Peter kid. I was never really that much into but, Grange Hill and all those shows on the BBC. I was more into Fun House and the Twins. And, and uh, for those Pat that Sharp. never know, it, you, Pat Sharp, that's the guy. He had this great mullet, which, which was the envy of, of the UK at the time. Because... Let's face it, mullets were really, really big back in the day. And And again now. And again now. But it takes a certain kind of person to really, really sell a mullet. That you got to have the right face for it. Because otherwise you look aggressive. If you have the wrong face and the wrong kind of shaped head, you're going to look aggressive wearing a mullet. And and he just looked, it just it's like it's like the Mel Gibson, it's like the UK Mel Gibson and mullets. They just it just worked for them. Um, 
For and me, if I had a mullet right now, I would look absolutely mental. And you do look absolutely mental. For our listeners out there who obviously can only hear the audio, Mike is getting very, very animated talking about Pat Sharp's hair, um, which I never expected when we started recording <laughs> today, I've got to admit. So, you know, it's a whole lot of fun. There's prizes to be won. It's a real wacky show where anything will go. So stay tuned, <laughs> stick around, because we're back with another instalment of The Last Resort. So we, we're just going to recap on where we were so far on, on season two. Uh, Mike, could, would you mind giving us a little update as to what's happened so far at, at Camp Holidays? Of course I can, yes. So what's happened so far is it is the start, well, it's the pre-season preparation. We've got some old faces back in. I think Kelly has, has made her mark in terms of her intentions as a supervisor in, in, the, uh, in the resort as well. And we've um, had a run-in with Bernie, the, uh, the uh, animated um, entertainment director, entertainment programmer, um, who is uh, who's gate crashed this one this meeting with with um, with our lead characters trying to pitch to to Glenn and stolen the show and now seems to have a little bit of power but has probably upset the management that, and I think that's pretty much where we are right now isn't it well well it is and, and let's not forget our uh, our old favorite characters Dan and uh, Adam and, and and Robin uh you know all's all's not well amongst the, the ranks there there was a little bit of uh, tension in their rehearsal as well which was the first thing that we we came back to on on the show so there's there's a lot going on and we are you know we're very early on in the script so um there's it's, we're not giving a lot away at the moment um but you know we, we we you can tell we're we're back in and things are gonna things are gonna kick off soon so um i think it's well worth sticking around um mike Shall we just dive back in there and give the people what they want and let them hear what's happening over at Camp Resorts? Kick us off, Steve. Kick us off. Exterior, front entrance, morning. A large sign looms over the security cabin at the main entrance, reading, Welcome, loyal guests. There are a steady stream of cars lined up waiting to be let in as the security team work busily checking IDs and memberships. Welcoming guests are three new camp coats, Haley, Ali and Paula. One is clearly very enthusiastic and happy. I can't believe we're finally opening. This is so exciting. What are we meant to be doing? Kelly just said to smile and wave, look happy. I feel stupid. Everyone is just staring at us. Of course they are. I remember being a little girl in the back of my dad's car and seeing the camp coach for the first time. It was so magical. You're quiet, Paula. I was just thinking, do we look like those idiots from the commercial? Isn't that the point? If I'd known I'd be standing out here in the cold, waving down cars, I would have brought me fur coat and knee-eye boots. Well, at least you've kept your knickers on. Both girls laugh out loud as another car turns into the entrance and beeps its horn. Keep waving, girls. First impressions is everything. 
Hayley is jumping up and down with sheer glee and delight as she walks to the car and hands them a camp schedule. <sighs> you one of them, aren't you? Hayley walks back and waves at the family. One of what? Someone's just happy with life. I'm an internal optimist, but it's just ever since I was a little girl, I've just always wanted to be a... Stop. If you finish that sentence, I'll literally throw up. Haley smiles in mock defiance. Camp coat. Paula feigns being sick as Ali laughs and Haley quickly follows suit. So why are you here? It's a job. And it's better than being on the streets. The three girls laugh again. We'd better get back to it. Management could be looking on. A young security guard walks past and smiles flirtatiously at the girls. Haley doesn't notice, but Ali and Paula smile and wave back. They spot each other and giggle. Dibs. <laughs> we'll see. As they laugh again, the girls hear a small voice speaking to them in a southern Dorset accent. They spot a smiling woman in a motorised scooter looking up at them. Well, are you going to let me in or not? Haley quickly jumps into a full and incredibly enthusiastic Camp Coat welcome. Hello there and welcome to Camp Holidays. My name is Haley. this is Ali and she is Paula. What can we do for you today, madam? Margaret smiles deviously. New Year, aren't you? Our first season. Margaret just sits there smiling as the girls look at her. The smile disappears from her face as she suddenly looks sad. Are you okay? You remind me of my daughter. She used to love this place. Happy, you know, like you. Until the thing. I've never been the same. There is an awkward silence. Are, are you lost? I'm not sure, dearie. Should I be? What she means is, are you with someone? A long time ago. Would you like a boiled sweet? As Margaret begins rummaging around her bag, the girls whisper to each other. I think she's lost. She seems confused. What should we do? Tell us, tell security. They'll know what to do. We should help her. She's just a kind old lady. The three girls turn to see that Margaret has gone. They look confused and are just about to search the area when Dan turns up. Everything all right? Came to check up on you. Fine. There's this old lady just here, but she's disappeared. Yeah, there's a few crazies knocking about. Most of them work here. Haley laughs, tapping Dan on the arm. Oh, Dan, you're so funny. <laughs> Paula rolls her eyes. Just tell security if she comes back. That's what I said. There's a low-level whizzing noise, plus the distant sound of the Jaws theme playing. As we see the scooter driving straight forward and into the back of Dan's legs. Nearly knocks him over, but he doesn't turn. Look out! There she is! All right, Margaret. The girls look surprised 
as Dan picks himself up and turns to face her. Ooh, Dan the man, come here, answer me, give me a kiss. Dan leans in and hugs her. She then unsips her jacket to reveal a picture of Dan's face on her T-shirt. It's badly misshapen. Have they got you sorted? Not yet. These newbies aren't clued up yet. <laughs> Not what they used to be. These new ones, eh? Girls, this is Margaret, a regular. She knows everything about everything here. Take good care of her. Dan walks to the security cabin and knocks on the window. Bob, sitting inside, sees him as Dan points towards Margaret. Bob nods and passes him a pack almost immediately. He walks back to Margaret. Hey, Olive, keys and coupons. Come on, I'll take you. Ooh, you're a good man, Dan. I'm, I'm sorry. We, we thought she was lost and, well, she was, she was sad. She, she lost her daughter. Daughter? You don't have kids, Margaret. Margaret smiles. Margaret is a proper wind-up merchant. Take most things with a pinch of salt. The girls all nod their heads as Dan and Margaret leave. Oh, uh, remember to keep waving. Kelly's on the prowl. What? What's that tart doing back? I'll tell you later, love. Whew, that was a hard scene, fella. What were we thinking there, writing all those different voices? <laughs> yes, I know. Um, I think it's hard trying to differentiate yourself um, between the characters. You had a hard job, mate, but again, you've got it easy because it's Margaret, which is Dorset, Dan that's Mancunian, the narrator's normal, and Paul is from Birmingham. I don't know what the problem is for you. I had to do two <laughs> girls in that scene and, and differentiate them with the same accent. <laughs> Well, let's say I just like to test myself. That's the that's the thing. I'm I'm a I'm a God loves a trier and all that. <laughs> I couldn't help smiling when when I heard Margaret's voice again. And um, you know, and as we were writing, obviously I kept that voice inside my head and we've written it in that kind of way, but yeah. um I just think she it's just she's just one of these, you know, she's obviously trying to wind up the camp coats and uh, you know, and, and just play games with them a little bit. Do, do you think that's the right thing to do? Would that would that be normal? Would that really happen in real life? Well, I mean, I, I can I can genuinely remember uh, some of the regular families were were great wind up merchants because they saw you as family, as friends, as you know, as part of the furniture. So they would happily wind you up. And it's, you know what? I almost think that if they weren't winding you up, then then they didn't like you. You know, it's that sense that it's a very working class thing, isn't it? The meaner you are to somebody, the more you like them. Whereas if you're polite, polite and nice to them, then you don't like them. <laughs> yeah, I remember that only too well. I never really got a lot of families liking me for some reason. I don't know. It's probably a regional like difference or, a, you know, an accent or, you know, the, because I was, you know, good looking and young or whatever. But, you know, I'm, I'm only kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only kidding. Well, so, um, sorry, go on. No, go on. I was going to say the narcissism does put them off a little bit, but... You know, we'll, we'll let that go. Don't worry. It's fine. Don't, don't forget sociopathic narcissist, okay? Let's That's just keep it. that in yeah. the forefront of our minds, which okay. means I don't like looking at myself in the mirror, but I love talking about myself constantly. Anyway, <laughs> Psychology 101. <laughs> so we've introduced new three new camp coats, all female, Ali, Paula, and Haley. And I think this is something really important because as is the nature of the beast with these kind of jobs, that 
every year there will be a fresh intake, fresh meat, um, and and ambitious young people coming into the fray. So you know we didn't see much of that in season one because it was a it was a big refresh and everybody was new. Um, the only people that, that that were returning tended to be those that were in management roles. So we were aware that both Mark and Wayne had previously been camp coats. Um, and had obviously had obtained management positions in previous years and what have you. But this is the first time we're actually seeing now there's almost like a, a hierarchy. And, and, you know, those that have been there before and know what they're doing, as we saw with Dan there, and, and the newbies who've been given a, a reasonably straightforward duty for their first shift to welcome some of the regulars back to sort of the preview weekend. We, we often say, especially when when you go into that environment for the very first time, and every single guest we've had has, has all spoke about this, is you make the best friends in your first series, season. And we met in our first season. We became best friends. And every other season after that, you become jaded with new faces coming through. It just becomes one of those things, as you said, fresh meat. Uh, and that's normal. And it's just that whole, you know, you come in with this sense of unknown. And then after your first season, you kind of know what's going on if you do come back. But you never quite forge the same relationships as you do in your first year. So for Haley, Ali and Paula, I'm actually quite excited to see where their stories take them because they are so new. And we see Haley; she's very excitable. You know, she's clear, clearly excitable on that one. How would you describe Ali and Paula? Um, Paula seems quite like, oh, whatever, mate. You know, that really kind of, oh, I, I, I can't. I can't do with this high energy people. She's, she's very, uh, she's, I imagine she's got a great sense of humor and she's obviously got this job, but I have a feeling like she's got a very dry sense of humor and she's not, um, she's not acting with the same energy levels that we're seeing from Haley. Cause I think Haley's on that, that whole upper level that you, that you need to operate at to some extent when you're performing like that, but she's like that all the time even when she's talking to her colleagues and i think that's the bit that's gonna may create some tension there um and it'd be interesting to see whether or not Haley maintains that level of enthusiasm throughout the season i would agree more on that one so <laughs> shall we move on with the story interior entertainment's office morning Mark is drinking a cup of coffee whilst Judy is pacing up and down the office. Wayne is sat at his desk, picking at a bowl of chilli nuts, systematically licking his fingers and ploughing through the bowl. He takes a handful and puts them in his mouth. Don't you agree, Wayne? Wayne looks up and tries to speak through the mouthful of nuts. He breathes in and chokes a little before spitting the rest back into the bowl. He puts the bowl down. You've often done there, uh, Steve. I mean, have you had many experiences of trying to breathe through uh, through a mouthful of nuts before choking? <laughs> Sorry, I have to. We, I know we wrote this, but still, it doesn't sound right when you say it. I, 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 one thinks that it may have been slightly intentional and a little bit tongue in cheek when he does it, but um, you know, yes, I have choked on a mouthful of nuts before and had to spit um, them out. Um, so yes, it, it, it has happened. So let's let's call it anecdotal. 
You're so gross. Wayne looks up and tries to speak through the mouthful of nuts. He breathes in and chokes a little before spitting the rest back into the bowl. He puts the bowl down and drinks a mouthful of cola. I get it, Judy. I really do. You heard him. I heard a lot of disrespect. I've been in charge of the shows here for the last 15 years, and in the space of 20 minutes, poof, gone. Downgraded to a... 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 A shitty rep show in a dodgy Spanish hotel. It's not acceptable, Mark. I demand respect, and I cannot idly stand by while years of tradition are swept aside by an overblown, egotistical, fake Londonite who thinks he knows better. Am I interrupting? Judy turns and sees Bernie in the doorway. He extends his arm theatrically and enters the office. Allow me to introduce myself. He walks towards Mark. I'm Bernie. I know. We met earlier. <laughs> and there's me saying I never forget a face. Well, blow me down. He turns to Judy. And uh, you are? This is Judy. That's Wayne, our entertainment manager. Bernie turns and looks Wayne up and down. Only thing he should be managing is his waistline, love. <laughs> All paid for, mate. Besides, you're carrying a bit of timber yourself. Bernie immediately spins, plies and does a high kick. Careful, love. I'll cut down many trees in my time and keeping my nose to the ground means I smell bullshit a mile off. What's that supposed to mean? Keep going, sweetheart. Then you'll find out. Mark stands between them to defuse the situation. Have you got settled okay, Bernie? It'll have to do. I mean, it's not the Ritz around here. As uh, egotistical fake Londonites are used to something a little more at market. There's an awkward silence as Bernie glares into Judy. Look, I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to make art and put on a show to drag this backwater, irrelevant, shitty camp out of the swamp. You have a problem with me or with that? Take it up with Glenn and keep out of my way. The best you can do is get on board the Bernie train or I'll leave you behind. Bernie walks to the doorway, stopping as he sees the nuts. He reaches down, taking a handful. Mark steps forward. Uh, Bernie. Judy stops him as Bernie turns back. Now, Mark. We heard Bernie mustn't get in his way. Bernie smiles. Good. I like a quick learner. He winks at Judy as he throws the soggy nuts into his mouth and begins chewing. He exits the room as Alan walks in. Glad to see you all getting on. Just a quick one, Mark. Are we all set for the event? Sorry, that is me as well. I'm sorry, yeah. I keep again. I'm talking to myself. Sorry, it's because it's I keep forgetting, and I'm just listening to you. Um, okay, I'll carry on. The event, a religious festival. Ah, yes, of course. Mark walks to his phone 
and lifts the receiver. Karen, can you pop in for a second? Yes. Everything's okay? No, you're not in trouble. I assure you everything is fine. Yeah. Can you, can you just come in, please? Thanks. Mark puts the handset back down. The group stand in silence as we hear Karen's high heels tapping down the hallway. She enters the room. Are we looking for the religious festival bookings? Oh, brilliant. We've got the usual numbers, plus a whole group for another church. We're absolutely fully booked. Excellent news. That is fantastic. Do you, uh, do you need anything else? No. Thank you, Karen. That'll be all. <laughs> Thank God for that. <laughs> Karen quickly scuttles away. Well, I have work to do. Uh, thank you, Judy. This conversation isn't over, Mark. Judy leaves the room. I'm going out for some air. Wayne leaves. Mark sighs and sits down. Problems? <laughs> Always. Tough at the top, Mark. They'll come around in time. You just need to make it work. That's your job. Mark nods his head as Alan sees the nuts and takes a handful. I wouldn't do that, Alan. Alan sees they are on Wayne's desk and drops the nuts back, taking out his hanky and wiping his hand. They're, uh, they're a bit sweaty, these nuts. Mark stands up and takes the bowl away. You don't know the half of it. He throws the whole bowl into the bin. <laughs> okay, so... Um... <laughs> Bit nut heavy that scene, really, isn't it? <laughs> what were we thinking? Heavy. Sweaty nuts? I mean, really? No, we've gone. We've, you know, I think we've we've gone. All right, shamefully, we've gone for the lowest humor here. We've gone for the lowest possible humor of trying to make jokes about a bowl full of nuts. And do you know what? I don't care. Unashamedly, I don't care. It's I, I like that kind of humor. You know, the basest humor is often the funniest. And when people claim it isn't, that's. I just think that's just a little bit stuck up. So, you know what? Enjoy it and embrace the silliness. That's what I say. Well, Bernie did have a mouthful of Wayne's nuts. So that's uh, that's always good. But the, the, again, you know, I know we always kind of criticise our writing and stuff and we always go back to it. And it's only when you, you take a stand back and look at it. But there's some weird terminologies in there, especially in the stage directions. You know, Bernie stares into Judy. I don't know. How, how is he staring <laughs> into her? Is he staring at her? <laughs> I think, you know, it's he, he's, his glaring. eyes are burning into her. He's glaring at her. Yeah. I think, again, this is just this is just testament to the fact that we don't edit any of this. We don't come back and look over what we've done until we read it in this because that's how we keep that rawness to it and that reality to what we wrote. I think eventually if we ever do edit all of this and and and, and try and, um, you know, make this as a show, that, um, that that will happen. But will it lose some of its charm? Who's to say? What do you think out there? <laughs> Do you enjoy the fact that it's it's not perfect and that that you know this is this is coming straight from the heart? Well, we just have a message just in um, live that says that's a poor excuse for bad writing. Oh right, who was that from? Uh, me, sorry. <laughs> no, I'm only I'm only kidding. Do you know? Um, yeah, and you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. But there is one. There, there is one thing, and I know we discussed it, and, and I've got to put my hands up here because I insisted this line went in. And I remember you reading it, and you went, 
what, 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 when I was writing, you went, what, what the hell does that mean? I said, let's just keep it in because it's something you would say. And that is, I've cut down many trees in my time, darling. And I keep my nose to the ground. And I remember you looking at it going, I don't think it makes sense. And I'm like, I don't think Bernie makes sense. I just think it would, so, it, it's just something he would say. I mean, having now performed it's, it, would you agree with that? I, I think it's a mixed metaphor, isn't it? And showing that he's, uh, I think it's, uh, that image that there are some slight cracks in there and he's perhaps not as brilliant as he thinks he is. So he sees himself as this, this guru, this, this musical maestro, this um, theatrical lovey, but actually he's perhaps not as smart as he makes out. And it's the little things like that, that maybe give him the, the kind of element of idiocy that, that perhaps leads to a little bit more of an interesting character. Wow, you're, you're thinking we're so much deeper than mine. I just thought he was referring to himself as a dancing lumberjack. Oh, well, you know, he's a lumberjack and he's okay. He's okay. I think we've had enough song references for today. Shall we try and get another scene in for our Let's wonderful see listeners? what happens next. Interior, Kelly's chalet, day. Kelly has just finished getting dressed and is applying some eye makeup. Her chalet is adorned with the usual pink and white decor from the previous season. There is a knock at the door. Kelly sighs, walking over to answer it. Wayne is stood at the entrance. Hey. All right. Hey, everything all right? Yeah, just uh, wanted to see how you are. Not seen you much recently. See me every day. You know what I mean. There is an awkward silence. Are you uh, going to invite me in then? Well, no. I was just leaving. Oh, five minutes won't hurt. I will if I'm late. I'm the boss. I think I can allow it this one time. Wayne steps closer to Kelly. Kelly steps back retreating from his advance. As Wayne takes this as a sign that she's letting him in, he walks into the chalet and closes the door behind him. Kelly walks back to the mirror to continue doing a makeup. Wayne looks around the room. Very, uh, pink? My favourite colour. Mm. Good to know. Wayne walks behind her and wraps his hands around her waist. His belly now pressed against her back. Kelly continues with her makeup routine. Kelly smiles, slightly grimacing. Wayne! Kelly wriggles a little to break free, and Wayne lets out a little grunting sound. He smiles and looks down. Now look what you've done. Wayne stands back and looks on. Oh, come on. Wacky Wayne wants to play. Kelly turns around and looks at Wayne. He goes for he leans forward for a kiss, and she reluctantly obliges. As they kiss, Wayne begins to slide his hand inside Kelly's shirt. She stops him. Don't you have work to do? Oh, he can wait. Wayne starts kissing her neck. His hands now her behind, holding her tight against him. Well, it 
must be important. Mm, very, but you're more important. Kelly steps back and frees herself from Wayne's grasp and checking her hair in the mirror. He's starting to sweat and the frustration on his face is obvious. Well, what is it? What's what? This important work you have to do. Oh, it's nothing. It's just some ordering of stuff and the camp coat rotors. Kelly turns around and faces Wayne, suddenly interested. You've not done the rotors yet. Bloody hell, you sound like Mark. I'll get them done later. It's no biggie. Wayne sits down on the bed, looking fed up. Wayne, let me do them. <laughs> okay, if you let me do you. Kelly thinks for a second, and a devious smile appears on her face. She slowly walks up to Wayne, pushes him back, and straddles him. She pins his arms above his head so he can't use them, and she kisses his neck. Oh, yeah. There she is. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, that's what I'm talking about. Kelly nibbles Wayne's ears as she talks to him, struggling to hide her disgust. Her hand goes to her mouth as she tries to remove her hair on her tongue. <laughs> Everything okay? Kelly finds the hair and flicks it away. Give me the rose. I, I can't. So just think about how much extra time you'll have. Kelly slides one of her hands down to Wayne's belt. He responds enthusiastically. Well? Well what? Kelly abruptly stops and starts to climb off him. Wayne opens his eyes and looks at her. Uh, okay, okay, well, may maybe I'll, I'll think about it. Kelly resumes her position on top of Wayne and starts gyrating gently. Kelly whispers in his ear. You know, it makes sense. Oh, yeah, anything you want. Kelly pretends to moan. So it's settled then. Oh, yeah. They kiss for a few more seconds before Kelly abruptly stands up and fixes her clothes once again. She smiles sweetly at Wayne. What, what are you doing? I'd better go. Honestly? Well, what about me? I've got an important rotor to do. Slam the door on your way out. It doesn't close properly. Kelly leaves Wayne, breathing heavily and visually frustrated. He looks around the room and sees a pair of Kelly's underwear lying on the floor. He reaches down, pulls them to his face and takes a long, deep sniff. His hand... <laughs> I can't believe him. Oh, right. <clears throat> I'll go again. No, don't. <laughs> no. I've got to. I can't help it. He reaches down. This is so ridiculous. No, it's horrible when you say it. Just one thing writing it is a horrible thing seeing you say <laughs> it and looking at you at the same time. I'm closing my eyes. I'm turning around. <laughs> he reaches down, pulls them to his face, and takes a long, deep sniff. 
his hand undoing his belt buckle as the camera fades out. <laughs> it's not nice. I can only apologise oh. to our listeners for this. I'm so sorry. We've, we've, yeah, it's, it's not. We've nice. let ourselves down. We've let you down. Now, I think it just goes to show the level of depravity that, that Wayne sort of. <laughs> <laughs> but even, even like I, you know when I, I think even when you you talked about Kelly's disgust you know she she's clearly not enjoying his advances and neither am I if I'm going to be perfectly honest with you it just feels horrible and awkward <laughs> oh it most certainly does it's just one of those really horrible nasty things but but Kelly knows what she's doing she's she's using this stuff to her advantage she's managed to to turn around the use the use sex to get what she wants and then by getting what she wants she manages to turn down the sex as well so she's a very clever girl kelly i you know i I, i've got some admiration for her i must admit i um i would agree with all of that even if i did not like hearing it (laughs) well on that note Mm. kelly getting the rotors then is gonna cause problems. I can't imagine that it would happen for no reason. So yeah, we know what that's we know what's coming. And for those of you who've listened to the preview episode, you might have an inkling as to where this might be going. Um, but stay tuned because that will be coming up in a future episode. So stick around and see what the aftermath of those conversations uh, looks like. Um, Mike, we. We have now, we're now sort of six um, scenes into this episode. Um, what, are you, what are your thoughts so far on, on, on where we are, what the, the situation is looking like? And, um, you know, we've had mention of a, a religious festival as well. We have mention of a religious festival. The drama is building up. So I think one of the biggest differences that we're that we're facing so far in these six scenes is there is discontent in the fact in the management. There is lots of stuff going on in the camp itself. And we're seeing a power shift happen through the camp coats and some new characters. So I think six scenes in quite a lot has happened without much happening which is the theme of last resort and then suddenly things just explode and lots of stuff all come together so um you know it's really hard and i must admit listening for you guys listen to this it's really hard for us not give away because we you know we've written a few more scenes on so we kind of know what's happening and we can't fake that and say that we don't know what's going to happen next it would be disingenuous of us but um, we hope that you're enjoying the story so far and we hope you, you like the way it's going. But there is more to come. There is more drama, more comedy, more situations, more new characters. So I think we're just going to start in the next few episodes enter a really exciting, exciting couple of scenes. Uh, 100%. I think there's some, there's some real um, ep- uh, adventures coming. And I think, uh, you know, that people are going to really enjoy where we take the guys next. So... To be sure to stay tuned. Well, before we um, before before we close off, Steve, it would be remiss of us not to bring in some form of anecdote or past story, as we always do. And I'd like to keep that thing going story. If, there's, if there's any more. So my question for you is: the situation Wayne finds himself in, he's being manipulated. Um, now, okay, he's come on to Kelly, and he deserves yeah. it. 
but he is also then being at the same time she takes control she takes power so she manipulates him to get what something she wants she sees an opportunity and she goes after it and uses her sexuality to get there yeah have you been in a situation like that where you've used your sexuality to get what you want <laughs> you wasn't, you yeah, was no, that, did you? <laughs> I, I did wonder if you were good. I know you so well, Mike, and I know what you're like. So I did wonder if that might come and you might flip it around and make it like, you know, I'm the Kelly of the story. You know, um, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because as a guy, you don't really think of that being a thing. Um, I think I've probably been taken advantage of more. So I think I've probably been more in the Wayne scenario where I've been a bit of a lost puppy when I was younger and, and been sort of, um, you know, run around and, and, and um, behaved, um, you know, like a lap dog. Um, you don't really see it at the time, do you? It's one of those things where you think you're, um, you think you're in love or you think that, you know, the other person feels the same way and actually that you're, you're convenient and you're, you're uh, useful. Um, but, but that's as far as it goes. So it's uh it's a real, um, it's a real funny one, but it's something that I guess we can draw on in order to flesh out uh, the action that's happened here. What, what about you, Mike? Have you ever manipulated someone with your sexuality? You know, but I think there there was a time where, yeah, I think I like you have, have run around and, you know, you ask someone out and they they say no to you, so you go ice skating instead and you know is manipulated <laughs> in that way uh, that's um, probably the closest example i've got to that situation well i mean it, it's not like you've ever you know taken a girl down to the beach and told her that you might be in love with her even though you weren't um at least you can hold your head up high and say that i suppose that's the that's the main thing that was something i wasn't expecting you to talk about right there and uh, and I'll, that was alcohol induced, as you well know. And, <laughs> That's, uh, and I felt that doesn't matter. There's, there's no, there's no excuse <laughs> for it. Alcohol is yes, alcohol is a, a reason, but it's not an excuse. <laughs> that's what that's what the North Sea and sand does to a person. <laughs> so, just pulling it back into the story, then, because I'm sure people will be divided on this and the way we've written, especially nowadays. Do we think? You know, it's in keeping with Kelly and Wayne's character, but do you think Kelly was right to do that? Well, I, I mean, Kelly has her own set of rules, doesn't she? In my mind, Kelly, Kelly justifies her actions to herself. So she's the hero of her story, as far as she's concerned. She's a strong, independent woman. She goes out and gets what she wants, and she will not be walked all over. She will not be told what to do she is very much the master of her own destiny or even the mistress of her own destiny so i think that she sees it as a means to an end and she sees him as fair game i i think that she's got what she wants however she's wanted it but the, I, I would say there's probably a sense that she's a, in a bit too deep with Wayne, that he just, I think she just probably wants him to go away and he's not going to. He's just, he, he's he's kind of latched onto her. And maybe, the, and we haven't written this in and we've never spoke about it, but maybe there is a subconscious sense that, oh, you kind of owe me one a little bit. So it gives me the right to just turn up at your chalet unannounced after getting, you know, insulted by Bernie because my self-esteem is quite low. So I want to build myself up by coming to you. And I think that's really what that's all about, isn't it? 
It is. Well, I, I think there's layers to it because I think that Wayne essentially he does like her and he does and he likes liking her and he likes to think that she likes him. So he wants sort of that relationship, like you say, it's that validation of his importance, that feeling of his, you know, that I'm I've still got it in inverted commas. So I think there's definitely elements of that coming in. I think it's I think he's less manipulative than she is because like you say, I think he does feel like he's got her the job, but he got over the job for his own reasons. I don't think he, he's necessarily saying I owe you owe me one. He's got her the job as the supervisor because it kept him closer to her. She was then working alongside him. So she, he has almost ready access to her and she's definitely around he just wants to keep her close to him. And so by getting her the supervisor job, he's literally work. She's working in the same office as him. So she's not even out and about being a camp coat. She's literally there on his proverbial lap. And that's what he he'd hoped for. So it's not so much as him owing one, owing her something. I think it's, or sorry, the other way around, not her, him, not her owing him anything. I think it's more a case of he wants her close by. He genuinely wants to be with her, but she sees that as an opportunity to push on and and, and develop her standing in the company because she's got a clause into him. I don't know if you if you agree or not. I can honestly say thank you for, for that because I never even thought about any of that. I think it comes out quite organically, but no, you've obviously given a lot of thought to it. And um, yeah, it's, uh, I think, something for me to muse over um, as we continue on with the show. Absolutely. So if you want to hear more, if you've enjoyed what we do, then make sure you give us a shout out, share, like, subscribe. You can remember you can listen to us on anywhere you get your normal podcasts. We're also available on YouTube. And here's up on our socials. We're available on Instagram, on Twitter, Facebook, anywhere where you can find social networks. So make sure you check us out as soon as you can. So until next time, we're going to say a big goodbye again. And, and as always, Mike, I want you to lead us in or lead us away with your thought of the week. My thought of the week is if you're having a bad day, just remember it could be worse. You could be choking on Wayne's nuts. On that note, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time on the Bad Scripts podcast. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bad Scripts was written and performed by Mike Garlier and Steve Jones, a Beach Tide production.